if you are new to Melanie Park, when we say that we're glad you're here, we are really glad you're here. And we really do want to uh, get to know you and help you get to know folks within this family so that you can be loved and encouraged as much as those of us who've been here for the last several decades have experienced. So please know that that's sincere and from our heart. Um, the other thing I want you to know is that part of the practice of what we do here on Sunday morning is we work our way through books of the Bible. And we go verse by verse from beginning to end. And we've been working our way through First Peter, which, at least for me, has been really good. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and just as a reminder, Peter began his letter by speaking about all that God has accomplished on our behalf. How we've been chosen by the Father. That we have been sanctified by the Spirit that we have been forgiven by the Son, that we've been born again into a living hope, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. And I think as Peter begins this letter, he wants to stir our hearts into gratitude. He wants us to rejoice and be thankful in God's redemptive work. Even, as he said in chapter 1, even in the midst of our trials, knowing that that work is still ongoing and that God can use our circumstances, however difficult they may be, to help strengthen our faith. That he can use our suffering to draw us more deeply into intimacy with him. He can even use our pain, which we all experience, to, to loosen our grip on this world. He wants us to be thankful for all that God has done and all that God is still doing. And then he says, be holy. Be holy as you learn to trust in God. He tells us to, to leave the lusts of our former life and live in our new creation identity. Making the most of the time that we've been given. Because remember, we're just pilgrims. <laughs> This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and so we are just passing through. Our time is limited. Our suffering is temporary, but our hope is eternal. So fix your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Invest your life in that which has eternal value and live in a way that represents the one to whom you belong. That's why he says, be holy because he is holy. Be thankful. Be holy. And then as we'll see this morning, Peter will urge us to to be loving. Because our devotion to God, and it's important to see this connection here, our devotion to God will always be revealed, it'll be exposed, It'll be manifest in how we love one another. We know this is true because of several things, but one of the things that comes to my mind is when Jesus was asked by uh, a lawyer in the Scripture, wanted to know, what is the greatest commandment? And in response, Jesus said, well, there's actually two. The first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says the whole law, everything that God requires is ultimately fulfilled in those two things. Love God and love others. And those two things are in fact inseparable. How we love others 
reveals the magnitude of our love for God. See, hearts that are filled with worship will always, always, always overflow into lives that are filled with love. So before we look at the word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I think it's easy for us to segregate our lives. Sometimes we think about our relationships with our family different than our relationships with our friends, different than our relationships at work, different than our relationships with you. But Lord, you say that that's not possible really. When it comes to our worship of you, it is inseparably tied to our love for one another. And so, Lord, would you you stir in our hearts today a sincere desire to live out of the overflow of your love for us as we turn that into a, a deep and sincere love for one another? Lord, if there is unforgiveness, there is bitterness, if there is anger, I pray that all of that is softened by the experience and understanding of your love for us. Would you work through your word this morning to soften our hearts today? We pray this in your name. Amen. So if we would look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd love for you to read with me beginning in verse 22. Where Peter writes and says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that through the living, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I happened to notice something that may have caught your attention too, because it's an idea that Peter keeps repeating in this opening chapter of his letter. In verse 4, it says, I mentioned it already, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, is undefiled, that it will not fade away. And then in verse 7, he says that we have a a faith that is more precious than silver and gold, which are imperishable. So our faith, not unlike our inheritance, is imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. And then in verse 18, Peter says, we were not redeemed with perishable things. But instead, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who was proven to be imperishable, right, through the power of the resurrection. So we have an an imperishable faith in an imperishable Savior who gives us an imperishable inheritance. It's as if Peter is trying to impress upon us the enduring power of God's redemptive work. It is imperishable from every possible perspective. And then, As we go into verse 23, we see it again, an imperishable seed. And and what he's talking about here actually is the idea of procreation. This is the new life that is created 
like you see when the seed of a man is joined with, the, with a woman, but that actually is a perishable seed that produces a perishable life. What Peter's referring to here is the living and enduring word of God. This is the seed that takes those who are dead in sin and makes them alive together with Christ. Because only the eternal word has the power to create eternal life. We are born again through the imperishable seed of truth. Peter says, your souls have been purified by your obedience to this truth. Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when he writes, In him you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, having obeyed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, so the word of God that has the power to bring eternal life is the truth of the gospel. We are a new creation in Christ because of the imperishable word of God. And Peter's saying that th this new life it gives birth to a new kind of love. A, a love that is very distinct from what we see in the world around us. And that was true of Peter's audience as well. Because remember, he's writing to a very diverse group of people. These are exiles that were scattered at different parts of the world that now have been transplanted into Asia Minor. Some of them were Jews. Some of them were Gentiles. Some of them came from wealthy backgrounds. Some of them came out of poverty. And it would be easy for them to congregate according to their class, their clan, or their race. And it would look no different than the world around them. So Peter is reminding them, you have been born again into a new covenant community in Christ. And your love for one another should reflect the character of God's love for you. And that character of that love is built on a covenant promise. It is a covenant love, which means it doesn't have conditions. It's not, I'll love you if, it's I love you because. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God, which means we could be so different that the only thing you and I have in common is Jesus, and it's enough. We need to understand that his word works to renew and cleanse our love for others. And the deeper our experience of God's love for us, the greater our magnitude of our love for others. That's the new covenant love that has come alive in us. Look at how he continues in verse 24. And he quotes here from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Like I mentioned, these 
verses come out. This is a quotation from Isaiah 40, which happens to be one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And it's important to understand the context of this Old Testament quotation. Because Isaiah, like Peter, is preaching to a people in exile. He's writing, in this case, to the Israelites who are being held captive in Babylon. And he actually begins Isaiah 40 with comfort. Literally, it says, comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. You see, Isaiah's words are comforting. They are a comforting reminder to a, a doubting and discouraged people. And so those same words apply to Peter's audience who feel much the same way for much the same reason. It's a message that remains relevant because it's a message that says that, that God is always faithful to his promises. Be comforted because he is a covenant-keeping God and his word endures forever. But very often, this is a truth that we have to believe with our heart because it's not always something that we see with our eyes. After all, the Israelites that Isaiah was speaking to were being held captive by what would have been the greatest world power the world had ever known. And, and then fast forward to Peter's audience, and they're being ruled by one even greater. <laughs> but in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, he reminds us, and he says this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, God, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing, as meaningless. And this is proven to be true because both those world powers that seemed inconquerable no longer exist. The grass withers. The flower fades. Nations come. Nations go. But God's people remain because he is faithful to fulfill his promises and his word endures forever. I think it's interesting that all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all quote from Isaiah 40. And I believe that's true because what Isaiah is promising is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. It says, get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. That announcement was fulfilled at the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about the announcement of the angels, <laughs> When they said, unto you a Savior who is born, he is Christ the Lord. Here is your God. That's why Luke in chapter 3 verse 4 says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, again quoting from Isaiah 40, he says this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will be made straight. The rough road smooth. And all 
flesh will see the salvation of the Lord. Jesus is God incarnate. And he is the word that became flesh and dwelled among us. He is the one who fulfilled that promise of redemption. That's why Peter says in verse 25, the word Isaiah spoke has been preached to you. It's the truth of the gospel. And there is salvation in no one else, as we learn in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. The grass grows and and then it goes away. We, We see that every year, don't we? It's beautiful and green in the summer, and then it's just dark and brown through the winter. Flowers, same thing. They come up, they blossom, beautiful, bright colors that eventually fade and then fall off. But the Word of God endures forever. So be comforted. Because God is faithful to fulfill every single promise he has ever made. Look at how he continues in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander like newborn babies, long for pure, the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So back in chapter 22, Peter tells us to have a sincere love. And I believe here in chapter 2, verse 1, he begins to unpack what that sincere love really is, what it looks like. Because of the great love with which he loved us, this is how we are then called to love one another. Since God's love brought reconciliation and peace to us, our love should do the same. And Peter begins by describing things that we should put aside. Things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And I want you to notice that these are all divisive words, aren't they? They're attitudes of the heart that are destined to destroy relationships. It's like a laser-guided missile that brings damage deep inside of a person's heart. Malice is wishing the worst for someone else. It's what happens when we harbor bitterness and ill will towards another person. Both deception and hypocrisy are products of pride. Manipulating people or situations for personal gain. Envy, slander, those are words spoken in secret, elevating yourself as you put other people down. Peter says, put them aside. Because they will kill the community of Christ that was made possible by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. They will destroy the witness of God's redemptive work in the world. So be like newborn babies and crave the pure milk of the word. Cultivate a relationship that keeps your heart soft. Because what Peter's describing here, and this is really important, must go beyond simply understanding this to say that you need to read your Bible more often. 
After all, he's telling us, as we see in verse 3, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So this is not just about craving the word of the Lord. This is a longing for a life-giving encounter of the Lord of the word. Not just the word of the Lord, but the Lord of the word. Just think about that newborn baby being held at the breast of his mother. He's not just satisfied by, by the nourishment that he receives. He is being drawn deeply into a relationship of love. I saw Courtney Boring this morning and her sweet new baby girl. And I know something that's true about that new mom. Is that when she is feeding that sweet baby, their eyes are locked deeply together. Because there is a bond of intimacy that's being formed unlike anything else could ever accomplish. And the same should be true in our devotion to God's word. Because it's much more than just an intellectual pursuit. It's not just food for thought. It's food for our souls. It's designed to draw us deeply into a relationship of love, leading us into a life-giving encounter with the living Christ. See, the Word of God is living and active, and that's precisely because the Spirit of God is alive in you. And that Spirit of God is drawing you deeply into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the secret to putting divisive behavior behind us is to passionately pursue Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about this last, last week. It's really not about focusing on sinning less. It's learning to love Jesus more. Because don't miss this. It is impossible to harbor bitterness and anger in a heart that is overflowing with the experience of God's love. It's impossible. The two cannot coexist. In fact, I'm convinced that very often the primary issue for people who struggle with anger or bitterness or envy or jealousy, which, by the way, is probably all of us, okay? The primary issue there is not that we have a problem with other people. It's that we don't know how to experience fully the depth of God's love for us. Listen to how James speaks to this issue in James chapter 3, verse 8. It says, No one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who are made in the likeness of our Lord and Father of God. Think divisive speech here. For the same mouth came both blessing and cursing. My brethren, this things ought not be this way. And then he asked an important question. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? The answer is no. It doesn't. A heart that is overflowing with the experience of God's love will not pour forth divisive speech that hurts and kills another person. So crave the pure milk of the word, not only as a source of nourishment for your soul, but let it deepen the intimacy 
that you have with the living Christ. And in order for that to happen, you and I have to learn to listen. And I think if we're reading God's word and we're not listening to God's spirit, we may be filling our minds, but it's probably not changing our hearts. And and once again, don't make this complicated. Just give yourself space for both reading and reflecting. Because it's important to engage both your mind and your heart. There are a lot of tools that help promote and encourage. I've shared one with you this morning. You should have gotten it whenever you received your bulletin. It's one that several in our church family who are doing Bible studies together are using this as a tool. It's called a HEAR journal. This simply stands for highlight, explain, um, apply, and respond. H-E-A-R, HEAR. So I want you to think of this in light of what I shared with you earlier. When I was reading through our passage, okay, I'm reading through it and I kept seeing something repeated. And that's the idea. Read slowly and reflectively and see if there aren't things that just kind of jump out at you. Like the fact that he keeps repeating imperishable. Highlight it. Take note of it. And then the next step is explain. Begin to try and understand why that's the case. Why is that word so important to a persecuted people? Think about it in the the context of what this letter is, who's being written to, and what he's wanting to communicate to them. Why is imperishable important for a persecuted people? Explain it, but then apply it. Why is it important for me? Why is it important for me in the midst of my struggles, anxiety, discouragement, depression? Why is it important to know that he is imperishable? That his word is imperishable and endures forever? Does it not help me see that if he is imperishable, he is always present? He is always available. And so then respond. Let that turn in to a prayer. One of the things I like to do is just write out my prayers in my journal. And just recognize, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. So help me rely on your infinite mercy. Help me be nourished by your infinite goodness. Help me trust in your infinite power. Lord, today, would you help me taste and see that you are good, even in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances in life, and then be expectant. Look for the ways in which the Lord answers that prayer. Reading God's word should always lead us into a deeper encounter with Jesus Christ, drawing us deeper and deeper into a relationship of love. Because hearts that are filled with worship always overflow into lives that are filled with love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and how you protect us from segregating our lives, thinking that we can harbor bitterness in our relationships with people, but at the same time convince ourselves that we can still worship you. And you've told us that that's not possible that these are inseparable, and that when 
We are alive in Christ. We are alive to a new kind of love. A love that seeks reconciliation. A love that makes peace. A love that is able to unite people who have absolutely nothing in common other than you as their Savior. And so, Lord, would you allow us to live this out? Boy, if there's ever a time we live in such a divisive world with divisive speech and everybody's in their clans and their communities separated from one another, Lord, may this church look different. you draw us closer together as we draw deeply in our relationship with you. We trust you and we look to you. We know that you will lead us into a place where we love one another just as you have loved us. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the things I was thinking about this week was later in this same letter, Peter is going to tell husbands to live with your wives in an understanding manner, lest your prayers be hindered. You may remember Jesus' words when he says that if you go to the altar, if you go to a place of worship and you realize that you have sinned against your brother or your sister, then leave it at the altar. Go take care and reconcile, then come back and worship. And he teaches the prayer, right, when he says, teach us to, to forgive help forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We look all throughout Scripture and we see that worshiping God and loving others are inseparable truths. And I think sometimes we struggle in our intimacy with God. We just can't seem to feel close to Him. And we don't understand why. And many times it's because if we look around us we have bitterness, anger, unresolved conflict with other people and that's the reason we worship God as we love one another and so let's make sure that as a church family we are committed to keeping short accounts that we are quick to forgive slow to anger quick to listen right let's make it a priority to love one another in a way that gives evidence of the character and love that God has for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church family where I see this love so frequently. But I also know that we're not immune, that we are influenced by the world around us. And our enemy seeks to, to destroy. He wants to divide. He wants to deceive. And so, Lord, may we do spiritual battle well by living in peace, reconciling relationships so that our love for you overflows into a life filled with love for others. Help us to be faithful with that as a way in which we give praise and honor to your name. And so in your name, we pray these things. Amen. Have a great day.